I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. It's all getting very exciting. We're getting closer and closer to the end of the season. We're into squeaky bum time. There's only two games left, three for certain Premier League teams and lots of big decisions are being made at the top and the bottom of the Premier League table. We all know that Liverpool are now Premier League champions. Manchester City yesterday secured their Champions League place. That is expecting that their ban is overturned tomorrow. Norwich City have sadly been relegated back to the Championship, but there's still plenty to be decided on who is going to be playing European football next season, who is not going to be playing European football next season and who is going to be playing championship football next season. So with that in mind, there's an enormous amount to get through on today's show. My name is Fergal Brennan and I am joined today by Sam Lee, Manchester City correspondent for The Athletic. How are we, Sam? Good morning. Yeah, all good. Loads of football going on, so I'm absolutely fine. Great stuff. And we also have our very own Ant McGinley, who has his fingers in a lot of pies and a bowl of popcorn as well, apparently, this morning. Uh, Korean football expert, wrestling expert and lifelong Manchester City fan. Ant, how are we? A little bit nervous about what's going to be said tomorrow, but hopeful. That's why I've got the bowl of popcorn ready, standing by to watch the announcement. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Popcorn emoji indeed. Right, uh, we are going to cover Brighton against Manchester City on the show. But for me, the big game yesterday was Sheffield United against Chelsea. Uh, a bit of a clash of European expectations between these two sides. Sheffield United more than likely battling for a Europa League spot, but Chelsea have got their eyes firmly on the top four. But based on defeat at Bramwell Lane yesterday, they're going to find that a bit tough. Sam, I'm going to throw this over to you first. This is a huge win for Sheffield United. Uh, four unbeaten uh, in the Premier League now. They look to be getting a bit of that kind of swagger back that we had at the start of 2020, where they weren't really afraid of whoever was coming to Bramwell Lane. They'd give anyone a game. This is a massive result for them in terms of the confidence it's going to inject into into the players and into Chris Wilder. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing for sides like this, because it, it can be possible to go on a run in the Premier League, but that can soon fade away. And I suppose an, an extreme example of that is Norwich. It wasn't so much a, a run, but obviously they did well at the start of the season. They beat City and played great, but it's kind of just completely fallen away. Um, you know, with Sheffield United coming back after the lockdown, 
obviously a bit rusty you know it's affected different teams in different ways but it looked like oh yeah okay you can f- forget about them then that that team that were good before the lockdown hasn't come back but they've they've just clicked back into their rhythm so yeah in terms of that confidence you were talking about for them to realize that they can still do it they don't have anything to fear when teams go to Bramall Lane um yeah that is big for them and with a, you know a few games to go now they've they kind of put in a the gloss on on a good season and they they may well get that uh, European place that they deserve uh, and this is one of them things where this was a performance as well as a result. The, t- the two previous games, the late draw against Burnley and the late winner against Wolves, uh, were kind of held up as like, oh, lots of grit, lots of graft, you know, the never say die spirit, all the old cliches being thrown out. This was a really professional performance against Chelsea. Chelsea just couldn't seem to make anything stick in attack. They couldn't deal with, uh, you know, the newly goal hero of uh, Sheffield United, David McGoldrick. This is a, a bit of a slap in the face for Lampard because... He's got a very clear way in how he wants to play and he's been picked off by a really well-drilled Sheffield United team that know exactly what is expected of them in all areas of the pitch. Yeah, uh, and he was very... uh, Well, he didn't exactly hide his anger afterwards when he was chatting to the press. I I think it's really weird what's going on with Chelsea sometimes this season. I mean, even just since the restart, like, they were... I mean hapless I'm tempted to say yesterday and yet um, you know you go back just a week or so and and the performance they laid in against Watford very very professional very clinical took care of it and that's almost almost what Sheffield United did to them and um, it just kind of seems to be a little bit all all or nothing for uh, for Chelsea I mean they, they started off terribly with that defeat at Man United um, if we can remember way back when that was almost a year ago now and um, but it's been a really good season it's been a really good season especially when you look at the table and you go it's Frank's first big job and you look at where they seem pretty much destined to, to finish in, in third place um, still with just a couple of games to go but there's a lot on the pitch that leaves them wanting now yes they've got some great talent coming in in the wings already we saw those pictures of uh, Zayek in the um, in, in the training kit because he's, he's joined up with the squad already however he's not eligible to play even though technically it is we're into that period where he's now a Chelsea player um, I, it must be very frustrating to be a Chelsea fan right now uh, but as for Sheffield United th- it doesn't surprise me they had a bit of a wobble when they came back after the restart but everybody that said at the start of this year that Sheffield United were odds on to go down I wonder if anybody had ever actually seen them play because even even before they came up to the championship, they were playing this kind of way. Uh, I'm really pleased to see David McGoldrick get those two goals yesterday. Those were his first goals in the Premier League, um, and he took them rather well as well. So yeah, I think it's um, I, I think there's there's issues that Chelsea are going to address, and it's just a real pleasure to see Sheffield United playing this way. And I think it all comes down to Chris Wilder. Yeah, uh, just flicking back to Chelsea for a second, Sam. Ant mentioned there, obviously, Hakim Ziyech has already arrived at the club. The Timo Werner signings already been confirmed. We're led to believe that there's going to be more incomings to Stamford Bridge this summer. Is this affecting the players, particularly when you've got a fairly young core of players? You look at the team yesterday, Reese James, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, even Kepper in terms of goalkeeping um ages he's still in the early years of his career when these players know that Ziyech and Werner and potentially Kai Havertz and one or two others are coming in do you think that could be 
having a having a negative impact on them uh, in terms of the performances they're having. They're thinking too much, and and their minds are maybe being a little bit distracted. Yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose that's de- that definitely can be a factor. Um, I think, like, uh, to kind of take this to City for the moment, I think they want to you know make quite a few changes to their squad. But when Guardiola's asked about that, he always kind of plays it down because I think he knows that he's got to rely on these players for the FA Cup and the Champions League. So he didn't want to be talking too much about who can come in and do things better when you've got guys who are already there that you need to rely upon. Um, so I don't, I don't think he can help. But at the same time, I'm not. I don't know if that's going to be the the biggest factor. I mean, Chelsea, have, you know, they haven't fallen fallen apart. They've we've known for a while they're going to get Werner. We've known for a while they're going to get Ziyech. We've known for ages they're going to get Ziyech anyway. Um, it hadn't affected affected them too badly. They've been fine more or less since the restart. Um, you know, no teams going to win all their games obviously United are on an incredible run of form um, but no I, it, it, it can be a factor but I don't think it's like the biggest reason for them losing to Sheffield United for example no um, there's there would have been many other things there and I mean they just they just I mean they just weren't good enough it, it may be one of the reasons but they'll they'll be they'll be plenty Okay, given the fact that we're coming to the end of the season, we're in predictions territory. Ant, I'm going to go to you first. But before I ask you about this, I'm going to give you a a nice stat that came out of the game yesterday. 24% possession was enough for Sheffield United to win. They had four shots on target and three of them went into the back of Kepa's net. So with that in mind, with that feel-good feeling sloshing around Bramall Lane, are Sheffield United going to be playing European football next season? Oh my god! Um, I would love to see it. Um, I think if the decision goes against uh, Man City tomorrow, then yes. Um, I just think that um, Manchester United and Leicester City have got too much to to bottle it towards the end. So I think they're going to come very very close. But okay. No cigar. Ah! Oh, I thought you was going to leave it at very close, uh, Sam. Uh, Ant is unusually glasses half empty on this one. Uh, would you think they're just going to get squeezed out of it, or do you think the blades will be in Europe? And a lot of it depends on how many places are available. Obviously, due to the you know the city here, and um, I don't I don't think I don't think they will. No, I mean if they did, they they would deserve it. But no, if being put on the spot, I, I think there'll be other teams who will get there first. Okay, well, I'm going to go against both of you and back my beloved Blades to be in the Europa League next season. I don't. I'm not listening to any of this negativity. Blades for Europe, I say. Uh, one team that has definitely, but not so definitely, qualified for Europe next season is Manchester City. Five nil thrashing of Brighton yesterday means that they have secured a top four finish. But obviously, as we all know, that crucial announcement tomorrow morning will decide whether or not they'll actually be playing in the Champions League. Um, just to focus on the game. Uh, first and foremost because there's obviously been so much conjecture on on Twitter and and supporters contradicting each other and saying one thing and saying the other Uh, this was absolutely ruthless for uh, for City Uh, every bit as bad as Brighton were in defence City just put their foot on the gas and Sam someone that I want to talk about is is Raheem Sterling he's up to 27 goals in all competitions this season hat-trick away at the Amex yesterday season high for all competitions season almost season high for Premier League goals would expect him to go over that in the next few games how impressed have you been with him since lockdown particularly with the Aguero injury there's more responsibility coming onto his shoulders to be a central player and to be a goal scorer yeah he's been good um, and I, th- I think the, the main thing for him and you know for, for City fans will be that 
it's obviously always been you know it's been good for years but around december um january february time it, his goal scoring had just desert, deserted him altogether and that's the funny thing about him this season and city this season he's obviously had this you know best best goal scoring season of his career so far and he could he probably add to that um but there's so many chances he could have added in those months i mentioned um it could it could it could have been even more you know various kind of factors had contributed to that but after, with the kind of mental and physical break that came with the lockdown and Guardiola always talks about being like a really fit guy you know he doesn't need too much time to recover he can play games back to back you know despite that Guardiola has been rotating him in and out of the team as he's done with everyone so they're fit for the Champions League um, but yeah he, whenever he has played he's been he's been pretty good he's been he's been pretty good he's been back to the old old level of sterling which you know he'd kind of he'd, he'd frustrated a lot of people in the early part of the year but yeah since the lockdown and that break he, he's come back to to what we all know sterling to be and one thing that we touched on on yesterday's show was players potentially playing for their place for that real madrid game in in august and guardiola seems to be going down that line he's using his substitutes in every single game making full use of the new five subs rule he bought I think he did bring all five on in the second half if not four um, looking ahead to that given the fact that what City can do domestically has now already been ticked off yes they've got games to come in the next few weeks all eyes are on Madrid and given the fact that there is no Aguero and yet Jesus scored in the first leg what is Guardiola thinking in terms of lineup for Madrid? Do you think Sterling has maybe edged ahead of, of Jesus as a central striker, somebody else coming into his wide position? What have the games so far told you about Guardiola's thinking for that game? I mean, we know that Guardiola is a, is a chess player and he loves a game of chess and he's had so long to think about this game. I mean, tactically, uh, in that first leg, he, he pulled a blinder. And uh, obviously, situations changed in many ways in terms of players coming through and different injuries being available, those kinds of things. Um, I, I think we could see him actually go with a false nine. Um, I mean, Jesus obviously has scored again, but at the same time, <clears throat> he's not been as proli- prolific or clinical. That said, he's still got a fair amount of goals this season, uh, considering most of his appearances have been coming um, off the bench. Uh, you're absolutely right in terms of uh, dropping everybody in. I mean, so, you know, just to, if you want to really demonstrate how much he's using the subs bench, he even gave Stones an outing yesterday. Uh, I mean, Garcia has been excellent. Stones has been struggling with injury, uh, but Stones came back, and Stones actually has got a pretty good record in terms of goal scoring um, in the Champions League as well. Um, I have no idea, but I've learned as a fan just to not question him. <laughs> and uh, I, you know it's that it's not so much blind faith as trust yeah uh, Brighton I think we're all kind of agreed that they're probably safe 36 points given the fact that 40 is probably not needed this season Sam to, to survive in the Premier League do you see any chance of potentially getting sucked back into it they were very poor yesterday as I say albeit against the, an excellent City side but are they going to be saved by the fact that there's always three or four worse teams than them well, yeah, in, on this occasion, I mean, I remember a couple of weeks ago I was on before they played Norwich, and you asked me if if they win, are they pretty much going to be up? I was like, well, yeah, we'll give them a good chance, and that's 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 the situation that doesn't change now just because they lost to Liverpool and City. Um, yeah, they they've not really looked like they're properly in the battle, and it's it's not always great to stay up just because you've got other teams that are worse than you. But I mean, it really looks like. Villa and Bournemouth are going to go down now and you know there might be some kind of miracle there but you know even Watford and West Ham can kind of feel a bit of a degree of being safe so Brighton 
like, like I said, you know, before the Norwich game, it, it wouldn't mean that if they won, it would guarantee them safety, but it would pretty much put them there, and I'm I'm sure they'll be fine. Yeah, just to I, take it back to, to Raheem Sterling for the, for for a moment. I think that's the second goal in three games that he scored from outside the penalty box. And uh, when you consider that over the last two years, the majority of those goals that he scored have been, you know, tap-ins at the end of, you know, brilliant movements. Um, that's amazing. You know, he also got, well, two headers, if you count the uh, if you count the second one that, that completed the hat-trick yesterday. Uh, but well, it did touch his head. His head made the <laughs> movement. Uh, I think we'll have did to put that to the dubious head? goals panel. <laughs> It was, yeah, the movement of falling onto the floor after being poleaxed. That's the movement it was making. I just uh, I, I just wonder what was going to happen. Uh, it's 5-0 against Newcastle, 5-0 against Brighton, and Bournemouth, who've not exactly been steady in defence, up next. Yeah, uh, well, that brings us neatly on to uh, some of the relegation games that took place yesterday. As Sam said, where Watford and West Ham have given themselves a real fighting chance of staying up. West Ham won 4-0 away at Norwich City, and that's relegated Daniel Farker's side. And Watford, 2-1 winners at home to Newcastle. That gives both of them a six-point cushion uh, above the drop zone ahead of today's games. We're going to go with West Ham first, um, but in reality, we're going to talk about Mikel Antonio. Mikel Antonio, United, it was yesterday. Four goals for a guy that is meant to be playing at right back that David Moyes has banged up front and Sam given the fact that he scored four goals and you know it's easy to run away with these anomalies that happen in matches sometimes it's not too wrong to say that every single time Antonio plays he looks like West Ham's best source of a goal even if he is playing at full back does Moyes just stick with this and say he seems to have the basics of playing up front he knows where he needs to be what movements he needs to make play him up front permanently I'm not sure if it's a long-term solution. Um, you know, the, they, they bought Sebastian Haller for, was it 45 million last yeah. summer? Um, so, you know, they're obviously thinking more along those lines. And I don't know whether, you know, Haller will have a stick around and have a better second season or whether they're going to invest the same kind of money again. But, I, I, yeah, I, it's, I'd rather they kind of stuck to that path of trying to get somebody who knows how to play it and is going to, they think, is going to get you the goals. I mean, is Mikhail Antonio going to get you... I mean, you wouldn't be expecting 20 goals a season for a, a team in the relegation battle, but is he going to get enough as you'd expect? Is he going to trouble that, you know, kind of hang around on 12, 13? I don't know. Uh, I'm not doing... I mean, he seems like a good bloke um, and I'm, I'm, and he's a, he's a good player. It's, he's a difficult one. I saw a tweet yesterday saying they couldn't work out if Mikhail Antonio is any good. And I know what they mean by that. Like, it's difficult to see. Like, if he went somewhere else, like, he's, I don't think he's... I don't know if he's good enough for like a, a certainly not a top six team, even like a kind of you know. Could you see Wolves or Leicester signing him? Not really. But he's he's obviously he's obviously a good player in his own right. Um, but I wouldn't say keeping him up front is like the per, the permanent solution for West Ham. It was Norwich at the end of the day. You know, it's obviously an achievement to score four goals. But I wouldn't be basing you know West Ham's transfer plans around four goals against Norwich. It was a good achievement, but not like a long term suggestion that he can seriously play up front week in week out for it for a team that wants to stay even wants to stay in the division but in saying that Ant you love a good uh, throwaway. Uh his record is actually quite decent when he's played up front we're just looking at the numbers here If we even if we take out the game yesterday he's got five goals from nine starts as a centre forward this season for a team in West Ham's situation that's actually better than Haller who obviously plays up front full time in terms of being an option, should he? What I mean is, in terms of his permanent position, should Moyes go now? You're wasted at fullback. 
I, I get what Sam's saying that you know we're not expecting him to be 20 plus every season but we have seen this with players where as they've gone into their, <clears throat> their early 20s managers have gone your abilities are better used further up the pitch West Ham all West Ham really need is a solid defence they don't need a particularly proactive defence we've seen this argument with Trent Alexander-Arnold being moved into midfield and various other players given the fact that Antonio does seem to be a better footballer than a lot of other options that Moyes has. Is it better to have him further up the pitch so that they have got more chance of scoring goals? Because without him, they look very, very flat. I'm very conscious of the fact that there's a big gap. In fact, there is a huge ocean between uh, the technical knowledge and ability of me as a pundit, and indeed all pundits, and any football manager. Um, despite what we might say. And this was highlighted a couple of weeks ago uh, when Moyes first put Antonio up front and I heard the commentator on the game as the team sheet was announced going, you can't play him up there. You've got to put him on the wing. That's where his strength is. He's not going to do anything up front. He's not. That's not his place. And boy, has he been proved wrong. And boy, has a lot of people been proved wrong. Um, I think... He's, he's he's unconventional. He is he is quick, but interestingly, the goals that he got yesterday were not winger style goals. They were more the type of goals that you would expect um, somebody who's a bit of a goal snatcher to get where they were. Um, I think right now, yes, you know that's that's it, it's working and go for it. And you know we we saw even going back to the days at Everton. You know, Moisey likes an unconventional striker. You know, look what he managed to do with Marouane Fellaini. You know, and it's, we're not talking about 20, 20 goals a season. We're talking about 10 or 12 goals a season, which uh, will make all the difference. And right now, that's all they need. They might have already done enough um, to stay up. Um, the problem with Antonio has always been his injuries. I mean, you, we forget that four years ago, he was selected for England. Sam Allardyce picked him for his one and only uh, game in charge, although he was an unused sub. And then uh, Southgate picked him when he took over, but injury, he, he pulled out of the squad. Um, it, he could be the answer, we don't know. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. defence answer. <laughs> I'm going to go with 2020-2021 uh, season. Mikel Antonio is, if not top, is in the top three West Ham goal scorers next season. I'm going to lay my hat on yeah, that one probably, right there. Fair. I think. Yeah, can I fair. just point out as well? Like, the, the, I think the, the top goal scorers at West Ham for the last <laughs> few seasons has been less than twelve goals. Um, Bring it on, Antonio can do yeah. that. <laughs> bring it on, I say. Bring it on, bring it on. Right, uh, Watford, as I mentioned, are also probably safe. Two really important goals from Troy Deeney, two penalties. Um, if ever you wanted an example of when you're in a pressure situation, uh, how to take a penalty, I think there was these two goals from Deeney yesterday. Two smashes straight down the middle. Um, and that should be them safe now, Sam, you would think. Mentioned there before, the six-point cushion they've got. But given the players they've got, given the, that bit of experience, that bit of nous, and, and obviously someone like Deeney that you can rely on in pressured moments to, to do the business, do you think Watford are okay now? I think they're over the line? Like I say, I think it's just as much about Villa and Bournemouth um, than than Watford. I've, I've always, I've, again, I've mentioned this a lot since the restart, and I remember when Pearson came in, I, I'd said I thought he would get them out of it. It looked a bit wobbly in the first few weeks after the restart, but it looks like they have just about got enough. And and yeah, kind of results like that yesterday. That is a that is a huge result. Um, yeah, Newcastle, no Newcastle are an odd team because you know they're not really a direct relegation rival. But you never know what you're going to get from them. They they could have easily 
they could have easily lost that with the players Newcastle have got, you know, kind of well organised in just a very kind of defensive kind of way, but then, you know, good attacking outlets. Games like that are a toss of a coin, so it's very important to to win them. It, it's not at a stage of looking pretty or anything for Watford. They need to get the results they did. I could watch Troy Deeney take penalties all day. I know there's loads <laughs> of games on today, but if they just put Deeney taking penalties for two hours in training, I'd I'd, I'd watch that instead of any of the other games. Um, but I, yeah, I think I think they'll be fine. Um, yeah, there's there's teams below them in much worse off positions with worse players, um, less of an idea of how they're going to get out of it. Um, Watford have got a result in them as we saw yesterday and mm. what three games left you, you, would, you would back them to get en- enough points here and there I think I said that again last week you know they don't need to win every game they just need one win one draw something like that and it'll, it'll be enough for them OK ringing endorsement there from Sam the uh, Sam Lee penalty trophy for Troy Deeney uh, last game from yesterday Liverpool against Burnley Liverpool it's a little bit of a strange situation for them to be in obviously title has been confirmed but they haven't really other than that Palace game they haven't really looked at the races for me um, obviously City they, they were very poor you know we all speculated about them being hung over that would have been an easy excuse I think for Klopp convenient excuse but yesterday again against Burnley lots of chances but they, they seem to have lost that little bit of sharpness yes they were up against Nick Pope who's in fantastic form and leading the way for the, the golden glove this season but and it doesn't quite seem to be fitting well for Liverpool and, and they're definitely not really taking it well. Klopp seems agitated some of the players seem agitated it's a very odd situation for them to be in because unlike City, they're not looking forward to a Champions League game in August their season is already over, there's no cup competitions. It's a very strange balancing act for, for Klopp and for the players Yeah, there's somebody more eloquent and more famous than me that once said about the danger of setting goals in that once you achieve that goal, your life has no meaning anymore. And the, I, I'm not saying by any Very means deep. That, uh, that Liverpool were playing that way yesterday because they, you know, they were uh, unlucky. Um, uh, there was a, I think it was Firmino hit the post again in the second half, um, and Pope had a blinder. So I think there's a combination of all those things coming in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can, I can kind of understand that. The fact is, it's, it's been for such a long time for. I mean, Liverpool is a club that's steeped in history. That there's such a strong tradition. Everybody, every football fan around the world knows that club, knows that, and so it's been steeped in them that they haven't won it for thirty years. And suddenly now they've gone and done that. There literally was no bigger thing, even when they won the Champions League last season. You know, there was that famous thing with uh, Klopp and uh, Guardiola meeting at the uh, awards and offering to swap trophies, and they probably both would have, would have taken that. Um, so I think everything around that club has been built around uh, winning the league and they've deservedly won it so. Uh, but, yeah, how do you motivate people once they've achieved their ultimate game? That's the thing. And also as well, this is this is not just in isolation. This is on the back of winning the World Club Trophy, the, the Champions Trophy where they play the winners of the Europa League, the... Um, all, all these different things that they've gone the only thing that's missing from it has been the FA Cup and the League Cup which they're not really counting right now so it's been a case of they've ticked all the boxes now yes they would really love the fans I think in particular would love to have those records I think it could be great to set those <coughs> records and they could still set those records they've got enough games left uh, to do that and get those points but I think really as well there's a realisation that this is their opportunity to do that because I think it's going to be a long time before somebody else is in a position to do this. And it's certainly not going to be in the next season or two because we've already seen strong threats 
um, coming from the likes of Chelsea in their recruitment and they're planning for next season. City certainly are going to be up there as well. And there's other teams that are in the mix. I mean, Manchester United have been a revelation since Bruno Fernandes came in as well. And so I think this is a real opportunity for Liverpool to state, you know, lay down those markers that fans like to have. I don't think they're going to be too upset if they don't get to that 100 points, um, if they don't break all those other records. Um, but I think from the fans' point of view, it would be great just to have that to boast about it. Yeah, um, Sam, just quickly on, on Liverpool before we move on to Burnley. One of the interesting things at the end of the game that was picked up by the television cameras was Andy Robertson and Jurgen Klopp arguing with the referee David Coote. Now, Robertson was absolutely incensed about a couple of penalty decisions that weren't given um, and some of the language, which is brilliant now with no fans, you can hear absolutely everything that the players are saying. Robertson's developed a bit of a reputation within Liverpool fans of he's their needle man, he's their, you know, player that gets in the ref's face and, and annoys opponents and then you know as comes with that territory opposition fans don't particularly like him uh, our dear friends and colleagues Jay Motti and Adam Keyworth were very quick to, to get that video up on Twitter last night and get a little little bit of needle into Robertson yeah. are Liverpool fans bothered about this is Robertson kind of going a bit too far he is getting a bit of a reputation for this and there is always that fine line between winning and wanting to win and overstepping the mark do you think do you think Liverpool fans care? Do you think there's a, there's no. grounds for this? God no. I, I I mean why would why would they care? Where's the suggestion come from? I, I, I like you're always gonna like all, all those players that are like that. You know, and Herrera at Man United when he supposedly accidentally spat on the badge at the Etihad. You know, did any United fan think oh, that's a bit far? No, you, you just love it. Like that's that's just the nature of football. If you're like when Bernardo Silva didn't clap Liverpool last last week. Um, the City fans were loving it. Liverpool fans were hating it. If it was the other way around, it would be the other way around. You, like, you, you, there's no kind of right to be outraged because this is just how football works. You know, if you've got a player like that and you love him for that, then you're not going to change your mind when he swears at the ref. Because for a start, the Liverpool fans are going to be thinking the same thing anyway. They're going to be thinking we should have had a penalty and the refs are idiots and he's right for telling them. So no, they're, they're not going to care. And I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Robertson either in terms of but that's that's again that's just it that's nature isn't it like he's obviously a great player but the way he goes about it, it winds me up if I was a Liverpool fan I'd love it so uh, I wouldn't expect him to change I've got no I've got no problem with it and I, I, there's no way Liverpool fans have either Fair enough uh, Ant very quickly Burnley uh, almost the team of Andy Robertson's not frightened of a little bit of the dark arts to get their results and they did well to get a point uh, Sean Dyche's uh, plan worked to an absolute T wait for a set piece pack the box get players around Rodriguez and Tarkowski and you'll get a goal and get under Robertson and Klopp's skin as they also did as well um, we've talked about Sheffield United we've obviously talked about United, Man United and Chelsea on other shows about the race for Europe Burnley are slowly slowly sneaking in there they're up to 50 points with three games to go will Dyche be happy with this will he be thinking I want to stay under the radar if we can get to Europe great if not it's been a good season Oh, I mean, there's there's lots going on there. We've seen in terms of like not being able to name enough substitutes because of some of the contract issues that have come up, brought about, granted by the the COVID situation and and the extension of the season. Uh, but it's it's shown gaps in the relationship between Dyche and the board um, in them being able to deliver what he what you assume he would want. Um, so, in terms of, I think just from a purely football point of view he would have absolutely loved that yesterday particularly the fact as well they could have only gone and won it towards the end uh two chances in very quick succession um 
which would have just been the most incredible result, not just because I had a cheeky bet on it. Um, but uh, he, he, we forget as well, like, you know, despite the fact that they struggled at the start of the season and they've had a bit of a resurgence, you know, they've had a brilliant defence this season. Nick Pope is on for the Golden Glove um, and <clears throat> demonstrated why yesterday. It's not just because he's... A strong defence in it's because he played so well and obviously he as well for the rest of the season who's been their, their leader very much in that respect um, I think as a as a dash performance he will be super pleased with that yesterday I think um, in terms of his future and what it's going to mean I, I, I don't know the gaps have been exposed but I think he's proved himself as a good manager Pope himself as an excellent keeper um i just remember this sam uh, about three seasons ago um city were at burnley and there's this brilliant tweet on like third minute from burnley which said pope saves from jesus uh but i think um i think pope has a bright future mm -hmm. ahead of him um i don't think they're going to get anywhere near europe this this season because a lot has to happen for that for that to go place even if we get more places and it drops down uh and i think from burnley's point of view given the disaster that they had last time they're not necessarily um gonna want that but i think daesh will be particularly happy um with that performance if nothing else Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we're going to call it there for half time. After the break, we're going to be previewing all of today's games. Some massive clashes down the bottom of the table as Aston Villa host Crystal Palace and Bournemouth host Leicester. And also, there's going to be a big North London derby preview as Tottenham and Arsenal go head to head for a Europa League spot. Join us after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask Alexa. Open Sports Social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. With games in the Premier League coming thick and fast, so are podcasts here with the Football Social Daily. We're back up to seven days a week, so that means every single day you can catch up on the latest news, transfer gossip, team updates, everything related to Premier League football. And you can also get the latest on your own team. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social, select your team and away you go. Now, before the break, we reviewed all of Saturday's action. We're now going to move on to Sunday. Some massive games, particularly down the bottom of the table. Villa at home to Palace, Bournemouth at home to Leicester and the North London derby between Tottenham and Arsenal. Before we go to that, we're going to cover Wolves against Everton. Uh, Sam, I'm going to go to you first on this one. No Traore for Wolves today. They've had a little bit of a wobble in the last couple of weeks uh, after a brilliant restart. Given the fact that they are under a bit of pressure to get another Europa League place, how do you see this one panning out? It's the kind of thing that I like to, to sit on the fence about. I think the fact that they're at home helps. I think um, Everton have been uh, a, a tricky team to play against. I think they're, they're just going to fall short, I think, of getting into Europe. But they still have their own Europa League um, quest going on, which could give them a, another route into the Champions League, which was their goal all along. I think the yes, the, the the results they've had in the last um, week has really surprised people. Uh, they were grinded out 
was against Bournemouth and, and uh, Villa. Um, it shocked me last week against Arsenal. Uh, I know that's your team, Fergal, and we, we talked. We were on the show last week actually talking about it, and I, I had Wolves all day on that one. In the week as well, it's. Um, I think they're going to fall short. I think that. what they want at least in the league however it's still going to be uh, a great season for them in terms of the consistency and the finish and they still have an eye on the Europa League as well and Everton are in that kind of odd situation Sam where they're just drifting along to the end of the season their own Europa League hopes have probably been ended um, but Carlo Ancelotti will want to ensure they don't just drift over the line I know they've had issues with injuries in the last few weeks but They've still put together a fairly solid run uh, since they've come back into action. For Everton, where where will Ancelotti be looking to realistically end the season? Yeah, Everton are a tricky one. I can't quite work out what they are, and maybe that's just because of how how they were and the transition from you know different styles to getting Ancelotti in, and the fact they look solid is probably testament to what Ancelotti can do as a coach. You know, kind of steadied that ship. Um, not an awful top moment. Um, they weren't particularly good against Southampton the other night. Southampton looked better. Mm, yeah, maybe arguably better coached. But I think you get that in terms of the fact that you know Hassan has been there longer. So yeah, I'm just going back to what I said at the start. I don't, I don't really know what to make of Everton. I'm not sure which direction they're going. I don't think they're going downwards. But I'm not sure if they're going to be troubling. You know, the top seven next season without a major improvement. They might just be one of those teams that kind of plod along you know a bit like for Wolves it's more impressive because obviously they came up last season and they've finished you know six or seven seventh eighth and they'll probably do that again you probably end up getting that with Everton but because the expectations are higher at Everton it's going to be less impressive and there'll be games where you know they might go five games with one win and they get a bit of criticism but by the end of the tape by the end of the season they'll probably be seventh or eighth again but I, I don't see them going back to that position where they were just yet a couple of years ago when people were talking about them taking the you know the top four spot no I, I would agree with that I think there's probably major surgery to be done over the summer in terms of the players they bring in but uh, Wolves for me I think they probably will get a Europa League place I think Champions League is probably out of their reach uh, one team that's definitely not going to be playing in the Champions League next season is Aston Villa they're in real trouble uh, it's do or die you would imagine for them today and against Palace Crystal Palace definitely in that category of on their holidays or whatever you want to cliche you want to throw at it Villa absolutely need a win at home today if they want any chance of survival and do you think they can do it that doesn't I sound mean, hopeful the stuff for movies if they do it I mean <laughs> yeah I mean they, they don't just need the win today they basically need three wins uh, and then something from West Ham in the last game of the season. Um, they are in dire need. I mean, they've been they've been in dire straits for a long time. I think as a club, it's really going to hurt them if they go down, and not just from an emotional point of view, but the comparisons to Norwich. Norwich came up. We've heard all that stuff with no expectation of staying up, and uh, they only spent maybe was it seven million. Whereas Aston Villa, 113, 114 million that they spent. Um, we saw similar with, with Fulham last season as well. Um, they're really going to want to avoid that. Even with the parachute payment, it's going to be tough. I think Palace today, uh, with Palace having nothing to play for, it's, it's a must-win game. Um, because they've got um, Everton, Arsenal, West Ham. 
none of those are what you would call easy games coming into it so to have any help they've got to get that i think if they if they don't get a win today i think that might or any kind of point really uh puts the nail in the coffin for them and it's i think it's a shame it's a it's a big club but we've not seen enough from villa on the pitch they've got some you know everyone talks about Grealish. everyone talks about dean as a manager but we just haven't seen it on the pitch and so they they haven't proved themselves worthy of staying in the premier league unless they do something fantastic today and in the last few days of the season which is on a wing and a prayer as far as i'm concerned sam that's an interesting point that ant makes this this idea of deserving to stay in the Premier League there's certain boxes you have to tick to be a Premier League side and and keep your place for a set amount of seasons before probably drifting back down to the Championship for all the talents of of Grealish or someone like Tyro Mings who's earned a lot of plaudits for his defensive performances do you think Villa fall into that same box as Norwich of being they play nice football but ultimately they're a bit too naive to be a Premier League team Uh, I'm not I'm not sure how much of the the football is nice by design. I mean, if it's nice, it's because they've got good individuals. I think whereas Norwich, that's more of a collective niceness, I suppose. Um, Villa haven't got a goal scorer, have they? Um, Grealish hasn't really come back from the lockdown in any kind of form, so that's obviously going to affect them. Having McGinn back was an unexpected boost, but I'd, he's done an awful lot. I know Douglas Louise has picked up a bit of slack, a bit of the slack. You know, he's he's been better since the lockdown, but overall it's just not there and that I think it's something McGinn actually spoke about in happens all the time you know we we see it with um Fulham last last season when they spent a lot of money in that summer to try and stay up um I, I interviewed a lot of the QPR players from that 2012 season uh, when they did stay up you know at Man City on the last game of the season but then went down they all said you know there was too many changes you bring too many new people into the dressing room you bring in players that have won European Cups in the QPR example and on the on the face of it you'd think well that makes sense they've got a lot of experience but they've all got certain ideas of how to play the game they've all got their own egos if you're bringing in players on big money it does cause a lot of dis- uh, kind of disruption not just in terms of people going well I want the money he's on but just in in terms of the fact that everyone's got a gel everyone's got different ideas of how things should be done and when things aren't going right people have a habit of you know making their opinions known when things are going well it it's not so bad you know people kind of keep themselves to themselves so that is one of the issues that I think Villa have had like Fulham have had and like QPR have had and like loads of teams have had and that is you know overall that's kind of going to be a difference like Ant said in terms of their kind of precarious position I'm not sure how financially troubled they are but you would think Norwich having not invested much of their Premier League windfall would be in a more stable environment going down and you know Villa have got a few more points than Norwich this season, but at the end of the day, they they might be they might be worse off. I, I don't think they play especially nice football. I think they're all right, but when you look at the players you've got, and you mentioned before, and especially including Tyrone Mings, you'd you'd probably uh, with a spine like that. We talked about Brighton's spine last week, and you know their defence and the goalkeeper in particular. Um, but look at around Temple, all the experience in the world, but he looks overweight for a start. Um, he went up for that corner against Southampton and got caught out there. He didn't even play a few back against Sheffield United and somehow got away with it. So in terms of deserving to stay in the league, I know this is a long rambly answer, but I, <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they've got good players. They've got good players. Dean Smith's a good manager, but it's not it's not come together for them. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like 
it's nice to have them in the league. Villa are a good club, but it's not like you'd be crying if they go down because they don't deserve it. No, I, I think I think I would agree. I think uh, in terms of the game today, I, I do fancy them to keep themselves alive and and get a win against the Palace team that, as we've said, are just strolling towards the end of the season. And would you make it three for three? Goodbye, Villa. You don't see any sort of a dramatic turnaround. Sadly, not. Um, no, and and I, I I do, and and I've not watched them a lot, but I I do have an issue with you describing some of the nice football because I've watched them about five or six times this season. I'm being kind. And they've been some of the worst games that I've seen across the whole season. Yes. Um, so I, I I suppose that maybe fits in maybe, and that's the difference with Sheffield United. Sheffield United, they play like a family, like a team, like people that know each other. Um, that all seem to have some kind of understanding going on between each other. Um, and I've not seen that at um, at Villa Park at all. And maybe part of it is because there's been a, a lot of dependence on Grealish. And also, I think um, Grealish has maybe felt that pressure as well, since he, um, especially since the, the, the restart. Um, I can't, I can't see them doing it. I can't see them doing it. And and to be honest, I can't see uh, Bournemouth doing it either, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a moment. Yeah, I, I think that is fairly clear. I think, unfortunately for Villa, short of an absolute miracle, it's the writing's on the wall for them. Uh, Tottenham and Arsenal, two sides that don't have to worry about relegation, thankfully, uh, but are on the edges of European qualification. How United and Liverpool and City and Chelsea fans must be laughing at the two of them, that the fact this is essentially a Europa League playoff. Uh, Arteta's kids against Mourinho's... Do you know what? I can't even think of a word. I'm going to let one of you two think of a word. Uh, Sam, I'll go to you first on this one. This essentially is, as I say, a playoff. (laughs) This is essentially a playoff to to get into the top seven, which given the size of the two clubs and the the background and the players and yada, 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 that's what it comes down to. As I say, Arteta looks set to stick with the likes of Bukayo Saka, Eddie Nketiah's band, unfortunately, but Joe Willock, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and a handful of others against Mourinho's organised but not organised team. How do you see this one going? I see it going Arsenal's way, um, which is kind of the reverse how they've been over the last few years. Because under Pochettino, and you know with Wenger out and and Emery coming in, and the years it looked like Spurs had turned that tide. But all of a sudden, it's now like Arsenal have turned it back before Spurs ever fully capitalised. Um, yeah, um, we talked about Arsenal. Um, I remember going into the Brighton game thinking, I know it kind of seems a bit chaotic after the United. Uh, sorry, the the City defeat with Ozil being on the bench and the whole David Luiz thing and all that. But they look all right, and then they lost to Brighton. And you think, oh God, what's going? What is going on with Arsenal? But they have to, you know, they have kind of turned it around, and they have, they are delivering on those kind of things that you would expect from Arteta, or you would hope to see from Arteta with everything that he's built up to be. Um, Spurs are not very good to watch. I was playing Xbox the other night, and my mate came on. He's a Spurs fan. I was like, you're not watching the Spurs game. He was like, what is the point? <laughs> and there's just there's just so there's just so there's just so many of them now that and Mourinho is unfortunate in a way in a way because they all still love Pochettino and it's like they haven't got over that X but Mourinho which is exactly the problem he had at United is he's got a hand that isn't ideal but he's playing it terribly and I nearly swore that he's playing his hand terribly which he did at United and that's you know you end up with all, half the half the fans just completely switching off um, in, in fact you might even end up with half the players switching off um, They, I mean they might win today because football's a funny old game but 
I would imagine Arsenal will have the better of it. And if, if they can score, then if they can put their chances away, then they will win. That's how I'm seeing it going. And the Mourinho myth of parking the boss and, and being very defensive and, and making things generally very unpleasant for teams, particularly teams that are maybe not the most experienced, would steer this in his favour. But given the fact that all those things just don't seem to be working, as Sam said, he played his hand very badly at United and he's doing the same now with Spurs. It's so difficult to gauge. I mean, he's an unpredictable character at the best of times, but it's almost impossible if you're a Spurs fan to think, how are we going to approach this game? And ahead of a North London derby, which, you know, as I mentioned before, both of these teams are looking for a Europa League spot. They're not pushing for top four or, or the title. It must be so, so frustrating if you're a Tottenham fan to not know what the plan is ahead of a game against your biggest rivals. Yeah, and the thing is, it's funny, isn't it? Like, a, a few, even just three or four seasons ago, this would have been a must-watch. You know, Tottenham's, Tottenham Arsenal on a Sunday. Wow, you know, as a neutral, that's a great game. And now I'm just like, uh, like really, I'm just like, there's, there's nothing that really excites me about this. I I do really like what Arteta's doing at Arsenal. He seems to be making some changes. It's taking him a little while to to get that going. Uh, but not as long as it as it feels like. Obviously, the 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 stop down has uh, has extended that out. But against Mourinho, who, who's as as we've all said, does seem to try and shut things down. Um, it's interesting as well. You've kind of got two <laughs> different philosophies coming in there, you know. Uh, and and let's 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 just stop there and look at this. Mourinho has got one of the best records of any manager that still coaching at the moment and he's up against the guy who's less than 20 games into his managerial career that comes from a completely different uh, philosophy he's from the Guardiola school um, so it's going to be uh, and we've seen Guardiola has come unstuck when he's come up against teams that have parked the bus um, so it has this written all over it um, I've heard I've been listening to a couple of different um uh, I, I don't have as many um, Tottenham friends as um, as Sam might, but uh, all of them seem to be of the same kind of uh, same kind of attitude. They're just a bit fed up. They're a bit bored. I've heard them say things like, you know, literally rip up the whole team, like um, the, with, with the exception, like get rid of everybody except Kane, which has been a, a shock to to say that about about any side. But you know. It just shows you, like, one, you know, it, it's not been that long since they were in the Champions League final. And all of a sudden now, it's just, especially when Liverpool have gone and taken it onto their next level, Tottenham have fallen away. So it, it, there's an incredible sense of frustration amongst uh, Spurs fans. They don't feel that Mourinho is the right man. They don't feel that they've got the right team. They don't, they're not happy with the owners. Um, it's a really unhappy energy around the place, if I can say that without sounding too much like a hippie. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but then having said all that, you know, uh, nil nil until Harry Kane pops up in the 89th minute with a header. And he does have an amazing record against Arsenal. Sam, just to, to touch back on to Mourinho for a second, I know he's such an exciting character to talk about on the podcast. Do you think this is the big issue that Spurs fans have? As Ant, as Ant mentioned, this lack of identity or a tactical way of playing. When you compare him to Arteta, there's noticeable signs of what Arteta has done at Arsenal. The players he's brought in, the, the alterations in the way that they're playing. Given the fact that Pochettino did have a plan and, and Tottenham seems to be moving in the right direction... 
they've gone backwards under Mourinho. They they don't have a way of playing, and it does seem to be this thing of Kane will get a goal or Son will get a goal. They don't look as secure at the back anymore. Where in the past you'd look at Alderweireld and Vertonghen and say, well, you know, you can you know bet your house on that bit of creativity in midfield. Obviously, they've lost Eriksson. They are just floating off, and and Mourinho doesn't seem to have the capabilities to to throw them a life belt. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like kind of going backwards, I think it's it's stabilised in a way, maybe in terms of results, maybe in terms of the early results. Obviously, they had that mad um, away record where they hadn't won all year or like since last January or whatever it was, or the January before with COVID, my months have all blurred together. So, I mean, I think he's, he might have improved them in terms of results away from home. Maybe, I think, I think even the league position. Um, but yeah, it's... I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Football's about more than that now. Fans want more than that now. What you mentioned is, you know, he's he's kind of damned in comparison with Pochettino because they had such a defined style. And not just the style, but kind of the emotion of it. You could tell they all bought into it. You could see that in the run from the Champions League final. And even if that's not fair, that's the emotion that the Spurs fans feel. They they feel that, you know, they feel those celebrations at Ajax away. And they, they think that should be every week. Maybe that's a bit unfair. But like I say... Mourinho is unfortunate in that respect, but he's not helping himself because what he does offer is, I don't think it's what fans want. And he had the same problem at United. He was being compared more in favourably because Guardiola was playing so well at, at City. Um, obviously, there's a load of different arguments you could take on there. But then when Solskjaer came in at first and then again now, even Solskjaer's making him look silly because, you know, with Greenwood coming through recently, you got United fans saying, how much would Greenwood have played under Mourinho? It's... It, it's it's impossible to know, but I think it's fair to say he would not have been getting these opportunities. You know, I would not be playing the same way now. You know, even if they had signed Bruno because he's also Portuguese, and yeah, that that is his issue. It, it's they're just not a fun team to watch. They don't get the results. Um, you know, just drawing nil nil with Bournemouth the other day is just not it's just not good enough. And yeah, that's that's why so many Spurs fans are so disillusioned with it already. But like I say, there is that specter of Pochettino is still there and you know a lot of fans still hope he's going to come back but I don't think he will uh, for me this is one of the trickiest games to call probably since the restart because of all the reasons we've just thrown out there so with that in mind Ant I'm going to ask you you've said you know you'd rather be doing almost anything else watching paints counting the rice grains in the cupboard any sort of DIY job you've been putting off uh, so we'll, we'll let you off watching the game just tell us uh, what result you're expecting at full time I guaranteed now that I've said all that, it's going to be fourth Spurs. <laughs> a Mourinho attacking masterclass. <laughs> yeah, uh, all, all on the counter-attack. Um, actually, when, when you step away from all that and, and you look at uh, what the team's got, it could be a really close game uh, and, and could go either way. I, I would like to see it going the way of Arsenal, but I would not be surprised, as I said, that... Um, Mourinho pulls off a bit of a masterclass and it's uh, 1-0 Harry Kane Oh okay uh, Sam I feel a bit bad here now because I've just been quickly researching this as Ant was answering given the fact that Arsenal haven't won at Tottenham since 2014 generally Tottenham have had the better uh, Harry Kane in particular has had the had the edge on Arsenal where do you see this going? Uh, no like, like I said at the start I, I think I think Arsenal will win like all of us again it was when when Mourinho came in and Lampard was at Chelsea when Chelsea played Tottenham all, everything was flipped on its head all of that old thing about oh you know um, Chelsea are the better team and, and then Spurs were kind of taking them over it just flipped straight back so yeah I know there might be that record and there's no win there since 
well, in six years. But like I say, I think things have suddenly flipped back on their head now with, with Arteta coming into Arsenal, changing things around there, and Mourinho coming into Spurs and changing things in the opposite direction for them as well. So, yeah, I, 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 do, think, I do think Arsenal will win. Sam, I love your optimism. Arsenal to beat the Spuds. I uh, said the same thing about Wolves <laughs> the other week. Arsenal against Wolves. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, uh, do you know what? We're going to get you on the pod full time. Uh, final game of the weekend to uh, wrap up. Bournemouth under pressure against Leicester, who are also under pressure, but for very different reasons. Bournemouth are right in Aston Villa territory in desperately needing a win. Leicester looked to have steadied a little bit. Positive results, beat Crystal Palace, fought back and got a draw against Arsenal. And who's got more? who's got more pressure on their shoulders at the minute Howe or Rodgers do you think Howe has kind of resigned himself to the fact they're going down or do you think he's still hopeful they're in with a fighting chance oh well the, the, the problem is you know that the, the, their fighting chance um, does does not include a kind running um, so it, it's got to be more than a fighting chance it's got to be a fight of your life chance uh, for, for what they've got in um Man City particularly next, and the, the fact is they need they need two wins. They need two wins from the last four games to be even having a conversation about being at the table, um, which means they've got to win this game today. And actually, when you look at Leicester's form since the um, you say they've steadied the ship since the restart, they've actually been really disappointing. Um, they've had a couple of defeats if you include the FA Cup. Uh, four draws, which hasn't they've only had that one win over Palace, and obviously that was great for Jamie Vardy. So he seems to have been back on the score sheet, and you might fancy uh, Vardy to to go to town. But remember, they did take the lead at, at Manchester United, um, so Bournemouth still have this kind of the there's something about them when they play, they can put some good moves together, they can uh, make stuff happen. It's just it feels like they've lost the way like the wheels have come off as people say um but i at the same time if they're gonna do this they will get a result today and it is possible i think when you look at the situation sam as as we mentioned bournemouth are are in a bit of a mess and we Probably, for me, I wouldn't give them as much of a prayer as I would give to Aston Villa, given the fact that they've really, really struggled. And, and how, whenever you hear him speak, he looks resigned to their fate. For Leicester, where, where are the expectations been changed in terms of getting into the Champions League? The conversation has firmly shifted now towards Chelsea and Manchester United, despite that Chelsea result uh, yesterday. Are Leicester being squeezed out of the race for top four? Or do you think they've still got a big say in it? I mean, they've still they've still certainly got a big say in it. You know, it's in, it's in their hands. Certainly, they're playing United on the last weekend, um, and, and yeah, of course they have because you know they beating Bournemouth is is eminently doable. So yeah, they they've they've called, yeah they've certainly still got a, a big say in it. Um, they won't go without a fight, I'm sure. Um, it's difficult to know exactly where they are. Like after again, straight after the lockdown, it looked like they kind of fizzled out a bit. Um, Rogers said it wouldn't take long before they click back into creating chances for Vardy again and that seems to have happened um, it's difficult though because you look at their results and you look at obviously Chelsea on, on Saturday and you think where's the consistency there and you look at United's consistency and you can just see them them steamroller into it but no Leicester are certainly within the chance and sorry still well within a chance of doing it and yeah when you look at um, Chelsea's form as well it, it's certainly um, believable that Leicester they might be Chelsea to get squeezed out. Yeah, Leicester is certainly still within a chance. And Bournemouth, Ant, we're not giving them 
a prayer, I don't think. We've talked about Villa. Obviously, they've got home game against Crystal Palace, which is winnable. Bournemouth don't look likely to be able to hold on to the likes of Vardy and uh, Harvey Barnes and Damari Gray. Are they done and dusted? Is this the end of the road for Bournemouth and Eddie Howe in the Premier League? Um, yeah, and I kind of think it's a good thing because every time I see um, Eddie Howe being interviewed at the minute, I kind of just want to like... Hug him around him, yeah. yeah, which you can't do for social distancing reasons. But you just kind of wish that for many reasons, go like yeah, just kind of go. Look, Eddie, come on, just come and have a holiday. Just, I think he needs he needs a career break right now, uh, and he's done amazing things. Mm-hmm. And he he is that club, and he's been there twice, and he has done an incredible job. He's given some great memories to the fans, but I think that he needs just for his own health and and he needs to go away and come back fresh so i think yeah i think they're they're gone and i think how will probably step away yeah I, th- I think i think so too i think bournemouth have been a side that we've been enjoying in the premier league but i think this season for a variety of reasons their key players haven't really stepped up josh king callum wilson ryan fraser obviously the debacle over his contract but I think a crucial thing, Sam, for me is that core at the back, Simon Francis, Steve Cook, Charlie Daniels, they're all a year older. They've all had injuries that have taken them a bit longer to recover from. And I think it's it's almost a cycle situation. So many of them players have been part of the team that got them up initially and have, have kept them as a Premier League side. But these things can't go on forever, can they? No, they can't. Um, and I think we're seeing that now for various reasons. It's... Something is quite clearly wrong there because I remember again before the before the restart we were saying well Bournemouth they may have got their players back from injury they may have had that physical and mental break and they may go back to you know the being the, the steady enough Bournemouth that normally do enough and pick up enough results but it's just not happened at all um, kind of sinking like a stone really uh, I mean it would be an absolute miracle if they were to beat City on Wednesday or you know even stop City from scoring like three or four goals let, let alone beat or, or get a result so. I, just, I mean, there's just there's just nothing in the world that suggests they are going to stay up. And, you know, that's the great thing about football. They still might. But if anyone can give me a reason why they're going to stay up and why they're going to get the points and why the teams above them are going to drop points to the extent that's needed, uh, I, I, would, I would like to see that evidence, basically, because I don't think there is any. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it is a case of bye-bye Bournemouth. Uh, Before I say bye-bye to you guys, I'm going to put you on the spot one last time. A little bit of maths here. If I go for a Leicester win against Bournemouth tonight, that brings them up to 62 points. If United beat Southampton at home tomorrow, that brings them on to 61. So that'll be Leicester in third, United in fourth, and Chelsea in fifth with three games to go. With that in mind, Ant, do we see that being the top four, Manchester United and Leicester? Or are we going for Chelsea or wild card answer Sheffield United. Oh, I mean, odds on. You know, I I would love it to be Sheffield United, uh, but there's so many things that have to happen. I mean, I think their their form will continue. Uh, looking at the other two, Leicester just have not um, picked up the pace. They've still got enough. That they're in prime position if they can. If they can turn it on, that they're in pole position pretty much. They can. It's theirs. It's all down to them. Uh, but United really have the momentum and I'm not sure Leicester can maintain that so as much as it irks me to say I, I, I think it's going to be United that have that um, that third place um, and Sheffield United are, are going to come ever so close I couldn't even call that one So fourth, Chelsea? Um, 
they've been so up and down and consistent. I, I'll, I'll go for Leicester. I'll go for Leicester. Okay, okay, fair enough. Sam, given those numbers put in front of you, where are you going on this one? Um, oh, t- Chelsea and United, I think. In that order? Uh, no, I actually think United might get third. Mm. I mean, this you know, it might all turn around. United <laughs> might struggle against Southampton, who are really good away from home. Um, but just how it looks at the moment just how it looks at the moment and like I said earlier between Leicester and Chelsea it's a toss of a coin really but on the spot I'm going to go with Chelsea fourth and United third Okay, fair enough the guys are giving their predictions on who's going to get into the top four and who's going to be relegated there's still a huge amount of action between now and the end of the season but we're going to call it there for today guys thanks to Ant and to Sam for joining me thanks guys yeah thanks Thanks a lot mate brilliant stuff don't forget as I mentioned at the break we are back to seven days a week here on the Football Social Daily which means every single day you've got a fresh podcast if you hit subscribe on this episode you'll have a fresh one tomorrow morning so you won't even have to worry about looking for it and if you want to keep up to date with your own team just ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social pick your club and off you go thanks very much and we'll speak to you again very soon Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask Alexa. Open Sports Social. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.